Okay, let's pray. I'm going to pray for the prison ministry. Lord, thank you for those volunteers we have here in our church who uh, reach out into the women's prison and maybe even into the men's prison who I'm not even aware of. Lord, we pray that others will come forth to serve in this way. We know that, Jesus, you told us that reaching into the prisons, those who are prisoners, is important to you, to not forget them, as the ladies told us in that video, that help us not to forget those who are incarcerated. They may have done wrong, but they are in great need, and that's what Jesus saw in all of us the great need when he reached down to help us while we were still sinners. So, Lord, we pray for that prison ministry that we saw here today. We pray for other Christian ministries in the prison, that they would reach women, that they would keep them away from false teaching, that they would show them the truth that they need to hear and draw them closer to you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, today, what difference does it make? I don't know if that is something you've heard lately, and I'm not going to go where you think I'm going to go with that. And that may be relief to some of you, because you don't want to hear about that. Some of you may not even know what I'm talking about. But I will say that that term, that phrase, what difference does it make, is something that is in the news now. It has been said by someone who... uh, challenges us in certain ways to understand why such a thing would be said. But I will say that often when someone says this, they say it because they have a lack of passion for the truth. Perhaps they have a disregard for the truth. Or even worse, they want to hide the truth or distort the truth. We definitely have a truth battle going on in our culture. And oftentimes, the easiest way to get out of a difficult situation is to simply say, what difference does it make? Now, today I'm going to apply this idea of what difference does it make to this topic of doctrine. And you may say, oh boy, this is going to be boring. Talking about doctrine. And you see all these ideas that just came up there, all these topics, everything from baptism up in the upper left-hand corner to the Trinity. What is our doctrine about Jesus? Israel, the flood, communion, salvation, tithing, I could go on and on. This is just the list of some of the things that make up our doctrine. Well, I'm not going to go into all these things today. That would be impossible. I'm not going to try to cover them one by one, and I'm sure you're relieved by that, that I'm not going to try to talk about every bit of this. But we are going to see today that doctrine does make a very big difference, and we're going to see how that fits into what we're doing here at Lion and Lamb as our leaders to make sure that we are adequately addressing this issue, this very important issue. And we're going to see that it does make a difference. It does matter. Now, what really is doctrine? You saw a lot of topics up there, but what doctrine really is, simply stated, it's what we believe and teach here In our church, doctrine is not something that is only for religious people, though. Everyone has doctrine, something that they believe in and that they teach to others, perhaps. That it does serve the basis for our faith, but it serves the basis for what other people believe and what their worldviews are. For example, a non-believer, an atheist, uh, has their own set of doctrine 
Everything that they see in the world, their worldview, is set up by their doctrine. So today we're going to focus on two aspects of, well, a few aspects really of doctrine. We're not going to get into the details of doctrine, but we're going to look at essential versus non-essential doctrine and sound versus false doctrine. And again, I'm not going to really get into what are all the essential doctrines of the Christian faith or what are all the non-essential doctrines. We may talk about a few as we go through this today, but we're not going to try to cover every one. If we went back to that list that you saw where all those topics showed up, some of them you may think were essential. Things that matter an awful lot. They're essential to you personally, what you believe, and how it affects your long, your eternal condition. Others don't, perhaps. And you may, it may differ among some of you as to how you would really see them as essential or non-essential. For now, all I want to say is we have established Lion and Lamb in, on our webpage a statement of what we believe, and for the present time, if you have not looked at that, I would recommend you do take a look, because the things that are included there are what we would consider essential. And basically that includes things that relate to the nature of God, the identity of Jesus, his what sin does in our lives, uh, the death, resurrection of Jesus, the reliability of Scripture. A lot of those things are essential, and that's all I'll say about that for now. Other things that may not be quite as essential could be how we view eschatology or end times issues, things that we could debate, how we see baptism, how we see spiritual gifts like the uh, speaking in tongues, things like that. They may be looked at, at least by a lot of people, as less essential or non-essential as related to salvation. So uh, th that's all I'll say on that for now. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through here today. Probably bring up a few of those ideas. But we're going to probably spend more time on the difference between sound doctrine and false doctrine. So we'll move on here. Now... Right now, traditional biblical doctrine, which a lot of us may think of as all the theological ideas that comprise our faith, that serve as the basis for everything we believe, are not very popular, for the most part, in the liberal church. Those details that we're talking about. I mean, it could be any of those topics, but they're just not popular. And why? Here's a few ideas of why it's not so popular. Because doctrine divides. And we all know that. Look at how many denominations we have out there right now in the Christian church. And it is true that we are often divided according to things that some of us may say are non-essential doctrine. And it has divided us into different denominations. And we may even have debates within our own church that are pretty serious. And, and if we jump to the third idea of, up there that says it gets in the way of relationships, some of us may forget that we can have iron sharpening iron and debate non-essential issues without dividing and without getting in the way of relationships. But when it comes to the essentials, maybe division is okay. Jesus actually taught us that he had come sometimes to cause division between family members and others because of proper doctrine, 
belief in, in, in sound doctrine. Another idea, though, that we see is that God cares maybe even more about our sincerity and honesty, even if we don't actually believe in the right thing with respect to the details of doctrine. Some would say, well, we really can't know, so it really just matters that we are sincere and honest. Well, some of you may have heard the idea or this phrase that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Well, that would fit this. Even though sincerity and honesty is a good Christian character trait, if you're believing in the wrong thing, that is not necessarily going to take you where you need to be, both now during this life and for all eternity. Another thing is that the, uh, a comment you may hear about why doctrine is not popular is that it's a 2,000-year-old book, at least, a lot of what is written in the Bible, and it's no longer relevant to what we currently know. If you've been participating in Sunday School and the True You Project, you would see a lot of those kinds of arguments brought out. If you listen to the... Uh, Ken Ham and Bill Nye debate this week, you would have heard this kind of concept, although he may not have stated it exactly the same way, Bill Nye, but how can we believe in a 2,000-year-old book to help establish our doctrine when science has disproven it? Or at least that's the uh, ideas that are being portrayed. So that it's no longer relevant. It's not just science, but it's even cultural, culturally relevant. And then I brought up the idea right at the beginning when you heard I'm talking about doctrine. Some people think it's just boring. I'd rather be taught in a different way. I don't want you to directly teach what the Bible teaches us, as Paul and Peter did in most of their letters. I want you to tell me stories. I want you to quote movie lines. I want you to quote song lines. Things that will be more interesting to me. Show me a little movie clip. Something to teach me that way. Don't just teach me what... Romans teaches because that's just dry and boring. I want to hear it in another way. So what that does is it takes away a lot of the truth that's really presented in the doctrine when we water it down through these other means. And then another thing is your truth is not my truth. And that fit pretty well into some of our discussion at Sunday School this morning. That postmodern idea that a lot of us just have different Ideas of what is right and wrong and true or false. And so don't tell me that your exclusive idea of what God's word says is right because I have a different idea of that. And doctrine fits very much into that uh, concept. There's another thing that's going on and it has grown more and more significant over the years. And a lot of the teaching on doctrine in the Bible is really fits into Paul's letters to Timothy. And so you're going to see a few verses here that come back to him advising Timothy of the importance of sound doctrine. And a lot of people just, same as they want to be taught in a simple way, an entertaining way, they want to be taught what their itching ears want to hear. And 2 Timothy 4.3 says, The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Well, what are itching ears? 
And what do they want to hear? Well, a lot of itching ears want to hear that their behavior, or which may include sinful behavior, is okay, or it is not sin. They want to be told that the cultures have changed, the times have changed, and those things that might have been perceived as sin at one time are no longer sin. Itching ears want to hear that. They want to hear that God wants you to be happy, he wants you to be rich, and he wants you to have a lot of material goods. And they want to hear that it's okay to marry whoever I want to marry, even if that person is the same sex. It's just as long as I love them. Itching ears want to hear those kind of things. And there are a lot of churches that are beginning to teach what itching ears want to hear. Itching ears also like to hear strange doctrines. In Hebrews 13.9 it says, Do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines. Well, what are strange doctrines? Things that might creep in to our midst or into the churches. Strange doctrines can be everything from people who are looking for mysterious secret information that only their church knows or only their teacher somehow has knowledge of. It goes back to the whole idea of this Gnosticism and way back in time. It's not a brand new thing, strange ideas, but it can be making you feel special. Your congregation has been given information that no one else has, so you feel somewhat prideful, somewhat special, that you have received that kind of strange doctrine. I think our infatuation with science fiction and even incorporating that into our theology is strange ideas. Numerology, there's all kind of strange ideas that are floating around out there, and the warning has come to not allow us to be carried away by that. And then there is the broader perspective on these ideas that creep into the church. Another uh, statement that Paul made to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy. All of this false teaching, all of this let's say, unsound doctrine or strange doctrine has its origin with Satan. The father of lies, when he speaks, nothing comes out of his mouth other than lies. So it may show up in various ways in your church or in your neighborhood or in your workplace, but it has its origin with Satan. Now, sound doctrine, that's what we're really commanded to adhere to sound biblical doctrine. The thing that I was saying some churches just avoid because of various reasons. Well, it's simple. What is it based on? It's based on God's complete word. And part of what uh, today, as I speak, you will hear me use the term doctrine, scripture, God's word. And then we're going to be looking a lot at Psalms 119 here towards the end, and other terms are used, like precepts and commands and laws and decrees. If they're in the Bible, they all mean about the same thing. All those words apply to God's revealed truth as given to us from Genesis to Revelation. Everything in between that is where we find our sound doctrine. It's not the traditions of men. That's what we've got to be careful about, and we'll talk a little more about that. 
Doctrine is not the traditions of men. Doctrine is God's word and everything we can take out of that. Now sometimes God's word, that we have different translations. We have some that are better than others. If you're not sure what a good translation is of the Bible, talk to some of us leaders and we'll tell you uh, some that, that we would recommend. Some scripture is hard to understand, and we know that's true. And if we're going to look there for all of our truth, we may need help sometimes to understand what it is. But we do have the Holy Spirit helping us. And even though we may look at commentaries and good, trusted teachers to help us understand it, we still uh, need to go there for our truth rather than the traditions of men. And we are blessed to have God's word. Now, God's word, again to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, is a passage you're probably very familiar with. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have to turn to scripture for all of our needs, all of our challenges. Yes, it's good to take a look at science as we're looking at in the True You Project because it helps us. But the real truth that we have to go back to, we have to judge everything with respect to scripture. It's good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. It equips us for all of our needs. Now, I want to talk some about false doctrine and some of the, from a practical point of view, what it looks like when it starts creeping in. Well, it can be errors. It can be honest errors. It can be that the person who's teaching really just doesn't know or, or has misunderstood or misinterpreted a scripture. Other, they may be good in certain areas of their teaching, and they may make a mistake in some. So that would be the least of a problem of false doctrine. Then it starts getting worse. It can become deception. It could be someone who takes a verse out of, script, out of context, for example, to make a point without saying what the verses were around it to get the full meaning or comparing it with respect to other uh, verses of Scripture that would more fully help us understand what it truly means. It can be additions. It, that's where the tradition comes in. And that is uh, something that has happened from the beginning, where uh, people who were looking to make their area of power or responsibility greater, and sometimes that means adding tradition or rules or whatever else it may be to God's word. Folly is another thing that happens. Often that has to do with just appeals to our flesh, something that feels good or that's not going to cause any harm or, or that's an old uh, cultural command of God, has no relevance to any more, anymore. And then we talked about strange ideas and secret knowledge that could be uh, brought into teaching or appeals to pride, and that goes back some to those rules that we're talking about or these traditions that are added in. It can be that someone is telling you if you do these things, you somehow have special status before God. So a lot of these arguments, depending on what they are, may sound good. 
And Colossians 2.3 actually addresses some of them. Some of them sound better than others. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Such regulations indeed have appearance of wisdom. This is talking some about adding to what we have in God's word and not allowing that to happen because it does sometimes have the appearance of wisdom. It does sound good. And there's a lot of types of arguments that will come your way that you sometimes step back and wonder, does this really sound reasonable? Even though it does seem a little different maybe than what you have been told or heard before that God's word really taught. When someone goes in these directions of any of these types of ideas of introducing false doctrine, in some ways we... Not always, but they can be calling evil good and good evil. And that warning that Isaiah gave, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, really applies to false doctrine. Today, we have that happening so much in our world, around us. Some of the things I mentioned at the beginning um, about what itching ears want to hear fits right into this concept about calling evil good or good evil. When it, whether it's gay marriage or how many times you'll hear somebody say a woman's right to choose, that is calling evil good. We have those things going on around us today and many other areas as well. And then we hear good is evil the same way. The person who wants to stand up and say something that... Uh, is in line with God's word, will sometimes be called evil because they call a sin a sin. Other ideas about false doctrine, 2 Timothy 3.7, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. We have that happening so much in our schools today, in our secular universities where knowledge is growing tremendously, and they're passing that on to a lot of you young folks who are still there. So you are growing in knowledge, but how much real truth is coming? Whether it's the naturalistic evolutionary philosophy that's taught, where there is so much knowledge uh, and learning that's worldly in nature, but how close does that bring you to the truth? Not very close. So that is another thing that's happening. But there's nothing more important, probably, when it comes to false doctrine than a different gospel with respect to the gospel of Jesus and how that is potentially perverted out there. And when we look at Galatians 1.7 and the warning there, there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. What do we hear sometimes out there that would pervert the gospel of Christ in our world today. We hear things like Jesus was a good teacher. We hear that even some would say he was a prophet. Other religions, Muslims, would consider Jesus a prophet. But they do not teach the truth about Jesus. They don't teach that he is the Son of God, come in flesh, they don't teach other aspects of Jesus' life in terms of his atoning death on the cross for us. Anything that takes away from all that Jesus has done for us, this different gospel, 
is false doctrine of the worst kind. Now, false doctrine, that the kinds of things we're mentioning here are certainly a recipe for trouble, and I'm going to talk about a couple things. Not just the recipe, but a disaster in the wait, waiting for us. Jesus said, wide is the path to destruction. And what we're really talking about here, too, are those who are on a path which is not the truth, which is not his truth, God's truth, as presented in the Bible. There are a lot of people on that path, and where is that path leading? It's leading to destruction. If you want to go to Kansas City, and you t go south, and you get to the turnpike, and you've got two choices to make down there, you can either head west and south, and you'll end up in Wichita. But you wanted to go to Kansas City. You made a wrong turn. You're on the wrong path. You're not going to get where you want to go. And if you believe that your desire is to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven, and you're on the wrong path, you're not going to make it. And so that path is wide, and that false doctrine is what has put some people on the wrong path. And that can be religious false doctrine or worldly false doctrine. Another thing about it, and we've touched on it already, is sin and its consequences. False doctrine teaches certain sin is something that, uh, well, really it's not sin anymore. Or it's not sin because it isn't hurting someone else. And it fails to tell us the warning we have in Galatians, uh, I think chapter 6, where, where it says that we will reap what we sow as a consequence of our sin. And that reaping of what we have sown is something that you will not hear in a lot of places that follow certain false doctrines. False doctrine also introduces doubt and fear and hopelessness in the life of uh, people some within the church. If uh, a best example of this would be where you don't know that you are eternally secure in your salvation. You could go in and out of a state of being saved. If you sin too much today uh, and you die tonight, well, where are you? There are people who wonder about that and they doubt and fear what their condition is. There are other things, too, that bring that kind of doubt, fear, and hopelessness in as well. This uh, expanding that concept, sometimes it results in legalism and cultic behaviors. That you've got to do this, you've got to do that, in order to maintain that status of salvation. And a lot of that has to do with just this works mentality, rather than grace being the basis for our salvation and which follows belief. Now here at Lion and Lamb, we currently have a beginning of an initiative, the leaders. We've been talking about this for a few months, and we believe that our doctrine is very important. What we teach is very important. We believe we have been instructed in Scripture as elders and deacons in the church to ensure that we are teaching sound doctrine. There is an instruction that, again, Paul gave to Titus uh, regarding the responsibilities of elders when it comes to doctrine. Titus 1.9 says, He, meaning an elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, 
so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Well, what we've got here is three things for leaders. And I'm going to expand that beyond just elders and deacons. I'm going to expand it to anyone here who is teaching. If you're teaching Sunday school, if you're leading a home group, if you're teaching a special class, we've got to satisfy these three requirements. We've got to believe sound doctrine, we have to teach sound doctrine, and we have to rebuke those who are teaching unsound doctrine. We have to be discerning enough to see it and say something about it. I'll give you an example of something that would be important for us. Some of you may have heard of a book that was written a couple years back now by a guy named Rob Bell. He wrote a book called Love Wins. And that book kind of throws upside down a lot of traditional doctrinal belief. Basically, he teaches in his book that a person can make a final decision of whether they want to spend eternity with God after they die. It's not before you die and face judgment. You die once and face judgment. You have another chance afterwards because he cannot believe that his God would send anybody to an eternity in hell is his bottom line conclusion. When we identify a very popular book like that, somehow we ought to comment on it. We ought to tell people, watch out for this, because it is getting an awful lot of attention, and people are pointing to it as something worth reading. That's an example, and there are other things as well. It can be us commenting on something that even a politician says that relates to faith. It can relate to books, movies, etc. We need to be ready to rebuke those things that we think all of us are being exposed to. And we need to truly follow 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, that talks about the fact of this inspiration of speak of all of Scripture, its inerrancy, and our source of knowledge. We have to put that into practice, because if you remember, it really says that that is equipping us for all the work and service we need to give. Now, I want to just mention a little bit about why sound doctrine is relevant in the past, the present, and the future. And just quickly, I'll say Psalms 119 is one of the greatest psalms when it comes to pointing this out, the value and relevance of Scripture in our lives. It's long. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. If you haven't really spent any time in it, I recommend you do because you'll come away with it with this feeling like the writer of Psalm 119 just loved God's Word and couldn't get enough of it. And just a few things that we can get out of Psalm 119, I'll point out. And here, instead of using doctrine, I'm using the term God's Word. God's Word is eternal. God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what he said before is true today. God's word gives us hope. It's filled with promises for us. We know the outcome of the story. That's pretty assuring to us, that we have the answer. We know who the victor is, and we know who the loser is. God's word gives and preserves life. 
We have life now, abundant life. We enter into new relationship and all the blessings that come with that now while still alive. And that carries over eternal life that begins the day you accepted Christ as your Savior continues forever. It, it isn't in and out of that. That life is preserved and we will be with him forever. It strengthens us to stand firm. Uh, you're probably familiar with the Ephesians chapter 6 which is all about spiritual warfare and the weapons, the defensive weapons and the offensive weapons. Well, the, one of those offensive weapons is the Word of God. And it is the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And that strengthens us to stand firm. If you remember, how did Jesus stand firm when tempted for 40 days in the desert, when Satan was tempting him? He used the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to be able to stand firm in such a difficult situation. And we can do the same. We've got to know it. We've got to remember it when the times arise that we need it so we can think back to it. And God's Word is a lamp and a light. All of these are in Psalm 19, and I bet there's five or six other major points that are made there. By being a lamp and a light, it stops us from stumbling it stops us from going off to the wrong path where we may not see the danger. It shows us the danger that is over off of that narrow path that Jesus wants us to stay on. We need to know God's word well enough that when we encounter those situations, those challenges, those dangers, those temptations, that God's word comes into our mind and we can see the danger before us. Now, sound doctrine will point us to Jesus. Sound doctrine, uh, even though it's through all of Scripture, it isn't, this pointing to Jesus isn't just in the New Testament. Again, Psalm 119.37, the writer says, Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Well, it doesn't say back then, turn my eyes to Jesus, like the song says. It, they didn't know the name Jesus, but they knew that they needed a Savior. They knew they were a sinner. David so often in the Psalms talked of God as his Savior. He knew he was in need of a Savior, a Messiah, the Christ. And he and others wanted their eyes to turn away from the worthless things of the world and turn his eyes to Jesus. Now here, when we move up to the New Testament, we have a more focused recommendation along these lines. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith or the author and perfecter of our faith, which is some translations would say. You remember uh, probably the last several dozen weeks or so, Mike has taught out of Genesis. And in doing so, he always related what he was teaching to Jesus. In all those cases, whether he was teaching about Isaac and Abraham, or Joseph, or 
various other passages that he taught through, he indicated how Jesus is taught, really, through some of those stories. It points forward to Jesus. I have a new Bible that I just got for Christmas that um, has, at the beginning of every book, it just says, Christ in the Scriptures. And there's a page or two that talks about how Jesus is pointed to in every book of the Bible. It may be hard. It may, I, I don't want to say this says every page. Well, let's say every book at least, that you will find that it points to Jesus in some way. And so that is something that as you read the Old Testament, sometimes you will individually be going through passages or whole books. Try to see how the Old Testament also points you to Jesus and not just the new, because it really does. The whole revealed word of God is all about his redemptive plan through Christ. Now, we saw how the author of Psalm 119 has a real love for God's word. Even though I didn't quote a lot of passages there, that's what you get through reading that. A lot of you may say, I just, I just don't love scripture. I just don't love God's word. Well, how can we build that love? How can we really spend that extra time in it and want to? Well, the way is to know him better. Now, how do you start this whole ball rolling? How do you develop love for it? Well, if we know him and what he's really done for us, we will love him. You need to make a conscious decision to say, if my love needs to grow, I need to spend more time with God. That means through prayer, through his word, through discussions with uh, other believers. But we need to talk about him. We need to just get to know him better. And when we do get to know him better, even though we may have had to push ourselves to spend that time in prayer and reading his word, that love will grow. And if that love grows for him and what he has done for you, then it's kind of like a circle. Then you'll want to get back into his word again. And it's no different than, let's say you had a letter from a person that you loved, a parent, a grandparent, a spouse, a son or daughter. If they write you a letter, I bet everybody in here has cherished letters like that, that you have gotten from that person that you really loved, and you probably have read it over and over and over, and you put it away, and you pull it out, and you read it again at some time in the future. It's the same with God's Word. If we can get to know Him well enough to where we do love Him, we won't be able to get enough. We'll be able to say, like the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 72 said, that your word is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver or gold. We see other places where it's referred to as more valuable than rubies or diamonds and uh, I really, or precious stones. I think we can get to that point where we do love God's word enough to say, I feel like I missed something today because I didn't spend that time in God's word. I finally, I'll admit this, uh, 
I dro I've drove to work for 20 years, probably, listening to the radio. Sometimes country music, sometimes a, sometimes a Christian radio station. And then I got the Bible on audio. And for several years now, I have been driving to and from work, listening to the Bible on audio. And there's really something that's happened there that when I don't do it, because somebody's with me in the car and I'm having to talk about something or whatever it may be, I feel so much like I have missed out on something that, that I really want. And I feel we all can get to that point. I know I still don't do that all the time at home. I still want to watch this game or that TV or show or something like that, and I'm still slipping. But at least all of us should try to somehow work into our lives that regular time in God's Word, audio, written, reading, whatever it may be, because when you do and you you do it long enough, you're going to grow closer and closer and just want more and more of it. I'm going to end up here today by just talking some about what Jesus said about sound doctrine. It's hard to find a whole lot, but actually what Jesus gave us by his words is our doctrine. But in Mark 7, 6 through 8, it says, This people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Jesus is making that comparison that I talked about earlier, which is wrong, which is adding tradition to God's commandments, to his word. And in fact, what he's referring to here probably more than anything, is this tradition which the Pharisees had laid on top of the people above and beyond the commands of God and elevated it above the commands of God. They not only laid this extra rules and regulations upon the men and women of the time, but what they have done, they made it more important in his teaching on the Sabbath is a good example of that where they have made that, some of their Sabbath rules, more important than God's overall general commands to love one another and do good. So Jesus says tradition, wrong, compared, if we're going to elevate it above God's commands. Jesus also, in the Great Commission, the last thing he really uh, told his disciples before uh, he ascended, was to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Again, that what he commanded them is our doctrine. Some of you have red words in your Bible, the words of Jesus. Um, some don't. But if any way that it is in your Bible, red or black, it is doctrine. What he taught us is something that we are to go out and teach others. So he is emphasizing the need for all of it to be taught. All of what he taught is what he's saying here. So, 
Doctrine matters is what it really comes down to. It does make a difference. What we as a church believe and teach is very important. We've got to be on target. If ever you think any of us are going astray, we are certainly not perfect. We need to be told if we're using a Sunday school series of some kind that seems to have doctrine that does not agree with Scripture, you need to tell us. You need to bring it to our attention. Even songs, if we have music that seems to have either no doctrine or questionable doctrine, go to one of the worship leaders and ask them that question. I think we can have those kind of conversations in a good spirit of unity and just discuss those without dividing. So please uh, do that. We know that Satan would love to corrupt our doctrine by introducing false doctrine into various aspects of everything we do. So we have to be discerning. We have to be careful. We have to be open to a fellow believer, brother or sister in Christ, coming to us and questioning us. Now, I didn't finish uh, back when I brought up how we have this doctrine initiative. I want to end by saying something about that. We are going to try to ensure the leaders that everything we do is consistent with sound doctrine and complete. We're going to try to develop a long-term plan, which I'm sure will change as time goes on. It's not going to be rigid. But it's going to try to make sure that we completely cover all the essential doctrine and not ignore other important doctrine as well that may not be essential, but it's still important to the way we live. And so we've got this initiative. We're not sure how it's all going to play out. We're going to work together as leaders to ensure that we, uh, that we are on target the best we can be when it comes to sound teaching within our church. So that's uh, where we're at on this topic. And again, it does make enough of a difference that we need to really emphasize it in all that we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time here today. We pray for discernment when it comes to everything, every idea, every philosophy, everything that comes our way, individually, as a church, within our homes. When our children bring home ideas to us that they're hearing in the world, give us wisdom, Lord, to evaluate all of what we hear with respect to your sound doctrine and theology of your word. And help us, Lord, as leaders and parents, and whatever kind of uh, leadership role we find ourselves in, or even just in a neighborhood discussion, Lord, help us to be aware of what may be false doctrine and give us the wisdom for the situation to be able to respond appropriately and to uh, not say things in a way to offend and then send somebody off, but but just give us the wisdom we need, Lord, to see false doctrine and to somehow apply your truth as it should be to just bring glory to you and uh, to not turn people away from you. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. 
Amen.